Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A full house on the Gagan Pod this week. Former Premier League stars Mark Schwarzer, Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen breaking down all the biggest issues. We'll talk relegation, battle, top four and title race, but you won't want to miss when the lads go down memory lane for owners and directors that love to stick their nose in and have their say in the dressing room. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Gagan Pod. We've got our big three back in the starting lineup on the Gagan Pod this week. Former Premier League stars Mark Schwarzer, Michael Bridges, and Thomas Sorensen. So much to get to, so let's skip past the pleasantries and get straight into discussing the relegation battle, which took some massive twists and turns in the Premier League at the weekend. Mark Schwarzer, we'll start with you because I understand you've got a catch-up for Optus Sport this week, and it comes at a very interesting time for your interviewee. It does, yeah. I'm catching up with uh, Harry Suter tomorrow, actually. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm. I don't know. I have to be really careful what I ask him, and I'm tread on tread on eggshells a little bit. Now, I'm just going to go straight to the point and say, "What the hell is going on up there?" Um, I, look, I think he's had a roller coaster of a of a time there at Leicester. Not 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 that a lot of it's got to do with him personally, but um, or because of him personally, but, you know, the club's been struggling throughout the course of the season. I think the only there's a couple of surprises for me. Firstly, the surprise is they took so long to change the manager. And then secondly, the appointment of Dean Smith. I, I thought it was just a real strange one. Um, I understand Shake, Craig Shakespeare coming in. I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm just not sure about Dean Smith. and Nothing personal. It's just not the appointment I was expecting, I think. Yeah, and I, th- I think you, Swartz, I think you can also look at like his, uh, you know, his track record. I think you have to go all the way back to to the, you know, the Villa in the Championship when uh, he had a good run and he turned things around. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't done anything since, and I think that's that's the worrying part. But you know, it's it's, it's at least he's getting some players back and, and and can try to get some motivation in. You know, Tillemans has come back, and I think against City they looked at least improved. I think they, you know, didn't get overrun. They didn't chuck in the towel because. You know, you looked at the games before, and it was really worrying. So hopefully, he can install a bit of uh, steel in them, and you know, just uh, you know, just at least hard to beat, and then hopefully grind out some results. I think that that should be the goal and the aim, you know, towards the end of the season. But let's be honest, right? They didn't get <laughs> overrun because Pep Guardiola made it easy for them in the second half. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if but... he kept that same team on, that that goal, that score line would have been probably upwards of worse than Leeds United. Let's be honest. Would have been worse. It would have been up there six plus, I reckon. The way that Manchester City were playing, the form that Haaland was in, De Bruyne, I, I mean, he kept making substitutions and Man City became disjointed. Yes, Leicester didn't throw the tally and they definitely got better in the second half. But I tell you what, that all came down to because of the substitutions. Yeah, but, uh, you know, the, the, the test is going to be in the next couple of games. You know, that for sure. They, they've got Wolves, they've, they've got Leeds United. You know, they, they, they are the games oh, that have to get points. For sure. 
<laughs> I'm sure uh, Michael Bridges was touch on uh, is, the great is, form. Is Bridges even still here? I'm just listening. No, no. I'm listening to all this jibber jabber here. Yeah, of course I'm here. I'm listening. Hey, Bridget, you, oh, you yes. haven't been seen since that. You haven't been seen since that social media post before the Liverpool game. You know, there was all, uh, you know, fanfare, and then it was just radio silence since then. You know, you just gone underground. Was that actually the Liverpool game, or was that another game he posted? <laughs> because I, I don't know. I don't remember seeing the atmosphere like that at Leeds United on the weekend. Yeah, I was posting before kickoff, and there was no more posts after kickoff because, unfortunately, Leeds got absolutely smashed six-one. And it's not easy when you're working as a Leeds United ambassador and you've got to go around the sponsors' lounges and meet all the fans in the communal areas uh, after a 6-1 victory, a uh, 6-1 loss, and after a 5-1 loss the week before. So conceding 11 goals, it was a really, really hostile atmosphere after the game, unfortunately. And yeah, it's they're in a world of hurt. The only thing I've heard you lads talking about is Leicester. That is a huge game next week, next Tuesday evening. Um, when you think the two teams that are in the Premier League with probably the worst form guide going into this, I think there's only one worse, and that's probably Southampton. Um, so going into this, it's going to be it's an incredible six pointer, I think. And um, the next three games determine Leeds' season. It's Fulham, it's Leicester, and it's Bournemouth. Um, and I think them them three matches define whether Leeds are going to be in that relegation battle or in the bottom three, or whether they're going to be safe this season. Bridgie, talk us through it. What was it like after the game? What was it like for you as an ambassador? going into the club were there as many sponsors still there as normal yeah. or were they drowning their sorrows and did you get any abuse there was a lot of drowning the sorrows um, a lot of people don't like leave the stadium that early sportsy because the traffic is horrendous so they'd rather have a few drinks afterwards and, and drown their sorrows but also when you go into the lounges they'd also like event their frustration at you personally and at some of the ambassadors and it's almost <laughs> like you it's almost like we'd been out there out there playing I was having a laugh with John Henry went into one lounge and some guy shouted absolute disgrace you give us nothing and me and John had to say listen guys we weren't we weren't playing today. We're here to talk about the game, and we've got to try and come, you know, try and make light heart of this to try and put the positive spin on it for the next three matches. So it's always nice, Swartzy, when teams are winning. But it, you know, um, there was there was quite a hostile atmosphere after the game, and justifiably so because I even think that game last night, if Leeds had to put in their best performance of the season, which probably was one of the games I witnessed when they beat Chelsea at home three nil. Um, I think that Liverpool, the the tactics that they had, the press. I mean, they were even winning six one. And what what's what was super impressive for me, six one up. McKenny of Leeds got the ball in the midfield, and then I think it was the ninety first minute, and he was surrounded by four or five Liverpool players. The the press was there. That every player was switched on, and Leeds could do nothing because the, the Trent Alexander Arnold coming in the midfield little pocket instead of playing it wide on the right. They just had an overload in midfield and Leeds couldn't handle it at all. So they were, it was a it was a really, really sad night at Elland Road. Bridgie, you said if you're looking for a positive, perhaps it's that Leeds' goal difference is still better than that of Everton, uh, yeah. Nottingham Forest and Southampton. Albeit, um, you mentioned the number of goals they've conceded. Leeds are the first to have 60 scored against them this season, which means they now have, by one, from Bournemouth, the worst defence in the league. Yeah. Interestingly, the two worst defences in the league aren't in the relegation zone at the moment. So, Bridgie, what's it going to take to arrest this defensive slump and start getting some points back on the board? 
Yeah, do you know, the last couple of games have been missing Max Vorber. And I think since he's come in, he's given them the leadership, the characteristics. He's played at left back and he's also played left side centre half. And the last few matches he hasn't been there and it, it's shown. They've looked absolute disarray. They haven't had any leadership, any organisation. And they've, every opportunity or every attack that, especially since the second half against Crystal Palace, They've looked like they're going to get uh, dissected. Tyler Adams as well has been missing from the midfield, the American captain. And they've, they've lost a little bit of their energy levels in that midfield as well. McKenney um, has got that to a degree. Um, and Rocker, who's been playing alongside him, he's, he's got lovely distribution. But they've missed that intensity and the high energy levels. Plus the, um, like I say, Max Vorbe's leadership. Because when you, when you Swartz, he'll tell you, and Thomas as goalkeepers, when you've got a, a, a leader in that back four, somebody who can organise... He's always checking over his shoulder. He's always trying to use his arms to get a high line and, and make sure everybody's in sync. He, he has been missing. He's been absolutely um, valuable. And I think if he doesn't get himself fit, um, Leeds could still find themselves in huge disarray defensively because I think that's how influential he is. That's part of the issue, right? So you're right, Bridget. I agree with you. I don't think it mattered how, how Leeds United played other than the way the fans left the stadium, right? So if Leeds put in a really brilliant performance but lost 3-0 because Liverpool was so good, then I think it's kind of acceptable, right? We all know that. But when fans feel that there's disarray and you get torn to shreds, and that's kind of what happened in some way. Liverpool were exceptional, but Leeds were below what the expectations are. And that's the difficulty thing. And the knock-on effect is, how do they pick themselves up? Have, has that really knocked their confidence now? Yeah. Two games in a row at home, they've been pumped. Well, Swartzy, that was my question before the game when we were going to the lounges, saying to the fans, it's the first time against Palace that um, Javier Grazia has been under pressure since uh, he's come. He's, he's turned things around. He's got wins. It was his first test, and then you go back-to-back -back with that kind of mentality in the players. This is, you know, I mean, Thomas had been in relegation battles before, and when they, you know, when when you start conceding goals in that, in that magnitude, then it, it can really impact a team. So that's why I'm saying the next two matches this Saturday and next Tuesday night define the season. Yeah, and I totally, totally agree with you, Bridget. I think that's where the leadership will come in because, we, as you said, we've been in there, the finger pointing, you know, the people trying to blame others. Uh, everyone is looking around. Whenever a goal is scored, everyone is looking at uh, a culprit. Uh, and, and that's where you, you need the strong characters in the dressing room to uh, you know, get people on the same page, to yeah, get people focused. Um, and, and, and that can't all be done by a manager. You know? So, you know, so I, I see where you're coming from with, with missing players. Um, but yeah, they, they, they need to, you know, they, they're leaking way too many goals. Those characters are evident on a match day, aren't they? When the fans yeah, are on yeah. your back, it's those yeah. ones who still make themselves available, those who still... Um, are trying to encourage those ones are the ones that got you back there are the other ones you'll find you you'll work out pretty quickly who are the ones that are playing for themselves and making sure that they look okay in front of the fans in contrast to Leicester and Dean Smith West Ham have stuck with David Moyes all the way to game 30 out of 38 they were able to come back from 2-0 down and earn a point against league leaders Arsenal it means they're now four points clear of Nottingham Forest crucially their goal difference is 20 better only minus 12 West Ham so is this a case Mark where we're seeing West Ham rewarded for sticking with David Moyes or do you think it could still end up uh, backfiring on them that they are the the one holdout really in that bottom <clears> half of the table along with Nottingham Forest who gave Steve Cooper that new contract early in the season Look, I, I think it was the right thing to do. I always felt that David Moyes is the right manager for West Ham. Yes, they're having a, a difficult season in in some aspects. And, and, and 
it's a large part of it, the bread and butter of the Premier League. And that's where it's vital that they stay in the Premier League. But they're also on the cusp of making it to a European final, you know? So I think that in itself is pretty huge, right? So I, I think if they look at things, they go back to it and they think, okay, you know what? We've got a chance now of, of getting into getting into a semi-final, really getting to a semi-final and possibly be that close to a European Cup final, which is pretty huge. Um, so it's finding that balance. And there's been a lot of debate leading up to the weekend's game against Arsenal, a lot of discussions about where are West Ham, what's the priority. Priority, of course, has to be to stay in the Premier League. And, and the questions are, do they almost forego their position in the quarterfinals, you know, put out a weekend side and try and make sure they get the result in, in, in the league? Um, so they stay in the league. And I find it really hard to listen to. And I, and I understand the question and I understand people's, people's uh, direction on it. But I, I still believe that West Ham are in that position where they have to go for both. They can't, they can't kick off the, the, the they can't get rid of the, the European run just because they, they hope that that will help them stay in the league. I think they, the both, they can help each other. I think the, the performance away in Belgium helps their performance on Sunday. Sunday's performance helps their next game at home against Ghent. All this talk, it's obviously on the back of some, some years where West Ham have, let's be honest, overachieved. I think David Moyes came in and you know, how they finished uh, you know, so close to the top four in Europe. Uh, you know, so you know, I agree with Swartz. You know, I, th- I think there's some tactical things that, that West Ham fans don't like. I think you know, he has become you know, pretty dra- pragmatic. Uh, you know, that exciting football that we saw has sort of you know, that disappeared a bit. You know, they're a little bit, you know, a lot more defensive. And, um, you know, he scraped the results that, that has been needed up to, to this point. So, so you, you can understand the questions, but I think there's also a reality check there uh, for, for West Ham fans and, uh, and uh, you know, where they're actually at. And if you can get into a European final, um, and I think the form is, is good enough in the league to, uh, you know, you're looking, looking around. I think they, they can start to, you know, hopefully, you know, look up. They've, they've got the teams around them to, to play still. So, um, you know, and I think they have enough. So, David Moyes, at least for this season, I think he's, uh, he's safe. But looking, f- they've, got some, they've, they've got some decisions to make going forward, I think, in long term. They've got such an interesting running. Liverpool, Man United, Man City to play in Liverpool, uh, Leeds and Leicester. So, it's kind of, there's no in-between. I think they've got Palace as well. But how, how do you, have, have they got enough? Have, are they safe? What? Uh, look, I, I think they have. I think yeah. they've got enough. But you're right. They've got tough fixtures. But every fixture at this time of the season is tough, right? Yeah. Yes, you look at their fixtures and you go like Liverpool at home, Man City away, Man United at home. I, I think a West Ham that is playing like they played on the weekend against Arsenal. They hung in there in that first 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes. They got back in it. They showed resilience. They showed fight. I still think... Okay, Man City, look. Man City is a game that... Man City are on a different level, right, to most teams in the Premier League. Liverpool, the way they played at Leeds, if they put in that performance at West Ham, West Ham are going to find it almost impossible to stay with them. But that can happen. They've still got enough other games to win and get themselves out of the problem they're going to be in. Palace, by the time they pay Palace, Palace, I think, will be safe and done. Bournemouth is a massive one this weekend. Um, so, yeah, look, I think West Ham have got more than enough to stay up, and I think they can do both. The two last games is against Leeds and Leicester. So, you yeah, know, it's two bankers, right? Oh my god. 
It could come down to that, but uh, they two, should have enough. Two bankers, Swartzy, sort yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> Just to cap the relegation chat then, give us your new three. Who's going down? Bridget, we'll start with you. My three going down, I think Southampton are gone. I believe Leicester are gone. And I don't think we're going to see Forrest get over. I'm going to stick with what we see at the bottom. Um, because I, th- I think Leeds will do Leicester. They'll get themselves a point there. Um, Forrest have got a tough running. So I- I'm seeing it is going to stick as it is. Um, there you go. I'm sticking by it. The bottom three, as it stands, are gone. Yeah, and no, I think it it is a fight between five teams now. I, I-, I agree. Uh, you know, I think West Ham will be safe. So it's Leeds and down. Uh, you know, I think Forrest are sadly just uh, they haven't won. I think in ten games. Um, you know, Leicester. You're looking at the form. You're looking to try to find some positives. I, I think Everton will will just scrape out a little bit like West Ham. We'll get pick up some results. Um, Leeds. I fear for Leeds, uh, Bridgie. Um, and I, I could see Forrest or Leicester picking them, uh, getting out uh, with some some kind of result. So I'm 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 gonna pick with uh, Leeds, Nottingham Forest, and Southampton. So I think Leicester will uh, will just grind out a couple of results over the next couple of games. That's you not getting a Christmas card. <laughs> I think we can all agree that Southampton are gonna go. I, I I can't see them getting out of it. I I think uh, thanks to Pep Guardiola, and I think Leicester's performance in the second half showed that they have got enough to stay in this league, and I think they'll get out of it. And, and, and it's a real tough call for me between Nottingham Forest, Everton and Leeds who are going to finish in, that, in those bottom two remaining places. I just feel that I think Forest, I think Forest are going to go. I, I, think, I think Steve Cooper, it doesn't seem to be working. Nothing seems to be going right for them. I think they're going to get sucked in there. And I actually fear for Leeds. I think Leeds, those two home performances, those, those two drubbings and the fans and the, the hostile environment, the pressure is probably slightly more than Everton, I think, because Everton have been there pretty much all season. So I, I feel I feel for Leeds, Nottingham Forest and Southampton. I think they're all going three down. Let's talk about the opposite end of the table. Arsenal dropping those two points against West Ham from a winning position. Leads me to ask, even if they were to get a draw or even beat Manchester City, is their form good enough that they can actually close this out. Bridgie, it seems as though they are very shaky and as much as everyone has pointed towards the game at the Etihad Stadium against Manchester City, Arsenal aren't really holding up their end of the deal against other opponents. No, and that's the thing. The last couple of matches, 2-0 up and obviously letting it slip and both games going to to a draw, that just shows the you know the fragileness and the way that Man City seem to be now just gathering momentum um, and this this game is going to be absolutely huge. I think I'm. I reckon if Arsenal get this result and that'll take them what seven seven clear, I can safely. I think we can say that that is their title. But Manchester City, I feel they're going to win this game. They're going to blow the title race wide open. It's going to go back to one point. City will have the the game advantage in hand as well, and I think it's going to be on. And Arsenal are going to get pipped by Manchester City. So, I, but I, this game is going to be mouthwatering. I, I just feel that City have got enough players that have been been there and had a, had a taste of it before. They've added something to. They just look a lot more calm and relaxed about it. And I, I, I know Pep. I think he can have that common influence because he's got it under his belt. Whereas Arteta, he's let himself go a few times this season on the sideline. You can see he gets very very anxious. He gets himself involved with the fourth officials and, and match officials, not position managers. 
And he's just, I, I think they will see a huge, huge test of character over the next four or five matches when, when Manchester City pip this one. Look, if you look at their next six games, Manchester City, they've literally got three, maybe four days max between every game. And they're big games, right? Bayern Munich in the Champions League, of course. Um, they've got, a, set, they've got a, a, a game in the FA Cup against Sheffield United. Uh, they've got the squad to do that, though, Swartzy. They can rotate. No, I Arsenal agree with can't you. rotate. No, 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 I agree with you. That's the thing, right? If it, I was going to say, what I was going to say was, if there is a team that can do it, it's definitely Man City who can do it. That Arsenal game, the game Man City-Arsenal is absolutely monumental. And I, I've just got a feeling the way that City are playing and the way that Arsenal, Arsenal are a little bit fragile, I feel, I fear that. So I think Man City, if they play like they played that first 45 minutes against Leicester and they'll do that 90 minutes against Arsenal if they could, I think, I think they'll, um, they'll win that game convincingly. I think an important point with Arsenal is like you can't overlook how they've missed uh, William Saliba. I think at the back, I think it's been really evident. You know, uh, you know, we saw with you know a couple of years ago with Liverpool when Van Dijk went down. You know that that solidity that they've had, I think, have just you know shown to be gone uh, these these last couple of games. They need him back, you know, pretty quickly. He's got a back injury. Uh, there, there, there's not really a return date yet. It could be, you know, within a couple of weeks or maybe a bit more. And and I think that's crucial to their season, especially in that um, Man City game. Um, because if you look at it, you know, a, you know, a draw away to Liverpool in 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 previous seasons, uh, you know, a draw in a London derby, you know, it it is not on paper bad results, but it was the way they happened, the way they they gave away, you know, the the, the lead and and could have actually lost both games. I think that's the question. You know, I think that's where all the questions come from. Uh, you know, are they, are they either not putting the foot on the gas or, or, or finishing games, or is there a mentality issue there? Uh, you know, are they starting to feel the pressure? Bridgie, you mentioned your ambassadorial role at Leeds, and there has been a viral video of Arsenal players signing a fan shirt, but none of them making eye contact with the fan, and it's blown up for all the wrong reasons. And... I just wanted to ask you about how much more difficult it must be for players in this day and age where everyone's got a camera phone and your every move in the public eye can be scrutinised as opposed to when you were, say, signing autographs when you were playing Bridgie or even in your ambassadorial role now. Just how difficult is it for these players to emotionally and mentally engage with the fan interaction? Uh, And do you think it's at all fair that they're being scrutinised for basically not having their heart in it as they were signing these autographs. Yeah, I think the only thing I got scrutinised, and it was a, a harsh lesson to learn early on, was I had a, obviously a senior player called Niall Quinn, a very good mentor for myself, and obviously Thomas as well at, at Sunderland. And there was a there was a queue of fans at the stadium. And I think I, you know, I'd signed along the line. And I looked at me watch and I knew I was going to be late, to, or, or I didn't want to be late to get into the into the ground uh, and I skipped about 10 or 20 autographs and it was Niall Quinn grabbed us and he said listen he said you know it's nice to be important but it's more important to be nice you get this sign because you never know when it's going to be your last signature and it was a it was a very valuable lesson to learn he said these people pay your wages and things like that and you know that was probably the the, the kick up the backside that I need at a young age now that now you're living in a world where every single moment you have got to put on a smile you've got to be on top of your game because the minute that you feel down or you show any any signs of, uh, of arrogance it's it's going to be posted you're going to get found out and and i really feel for some of the players these days because you, you can't be doesn't matter what industry you're in in the world whether you're the richest man in the world or richest person in the world whether you are 
the you know the whatever industry at some point you are going to feel emotionally underwhelmed overwhelmed you're going to be feeling off your game on top of your game it's that that is life in general and you know it it's it's sad to think that some of the boys are getting called out for not giving fans eye contact when you cut you just you're just down and signing things and all the way along you can't be on top of your game and i think sometimes you just need some people need a you know, just to, to take a back seat and, and appreciate what the good things that the lads have to do. You can't do it 24-7. Yeah, and, and let's be honest, like for a player, there's two sides to it. There's obviously the fans, you know, who pay their hard-earned cash and, and, and you respect that and you give something back to them because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they're the backbone of the club. And, and then there's also the, the personal side of it. You know, you... You know, you you gotta earn some some credit. Uh, you, you know, and 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 protect yourself as well. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the the people you meet on 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 the way up, you'll meet on the way down as well. So so I, I think that there's there's two sides, of it, and and that's where players needs to be mindful. Uh, you know, of obviously, you gotta spend the time for for a lot of reasons uh, with with fans and and um, you know sign everything and 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 you know show the respect. Um, because ultimately that's going to come back and help you at some point when, when you'll need it as well. So, um, you know, I think it, the scrutiny is beyond me at times. I think it's, it's harsh. Um, you don't know if this player, you know, had walked 50 yards to get over to these fans and, and got out of his way to get over there. And then because he looks down, you know, he gets criticised. I think that's, uh, that's very, very harsh. Let's talk about the top four. Briefly, uh, at the moment, it looks as though Aston Villa is the new team on the bubble, whereas Spurs and Newcastle are both struggling with their results. Manchester United starting to look a little bit safer inside that top four. I guess the burning question for me, though, is has Unai Emery actually done so well with Aston Villa that they might struggle to keep hold of him? If they were to gatecrash the top four, Schwartzy, is it at all plausible that Emery might get an offer he can't refuse from a super club in the off-season? What's a super club? I mean, if Carlo Ancelotti takes the Brazil job. I mean, that's a good question. It really is. Um, I. That's why he gets paid the big bucks for the big questions, man. <laughs> yeah, look, I think if it were Real Madrid, I think absolutely they won't keep hold of him. But if, say, for example, a Spurs came in for him, because obviously... Still a super club. Well, I just you broke up there, Bridgie. I didn't Whoa. hear anything. Sorry. Um, <laughs> There's stat- static on the um, line. I don't know. I think that would be a big, big decision for him to make to go to Spurs over Villa because Villa just seemed like I, I, I just get a feeling that with Villa coming into the season, if he ends up in a European place and even more so in a Champions League place, it's almost like he'll he'll have free reign to to kind of reshape them even more. I think what's impressive about you know, Emery, and there's a number of things, but how he's worked with the current players and how he's made them better. Yeah. We don't see it very often that managers come in. Yeah, they they hit a they you know they they get a, a bit of a lift and they get a bounce, but then it kind of goes back down to normal or the team does well. But I think individually, how he's improved players, how he's got a, playing a, a certain style of football, and how they are. They just look like they've got incredible amount of confidence. I know, I know results brings confidence. I know that. But yeah. you only maintain it through structure and discipline and hard work. And he's obviously doing everything right. It's very similar to what Eddie Howe, he's kind of replicating what Eddie Howe did when he took over at Newcastle United. What he, you know, they were the same set of players when Steve Bruce took over. Yeah. He's, Unai Emery's done the same with, with Steven yeah. Gerrard. And I think what it goes to show 
is just how good of a job and how good how high class these managers are in comparison now you know Unai Emery serial winner for the uh, for Sevilla when they won the um, Europa League so many times he's he's got pedigree and what he's done he's he's given them a whole new dimension and you've you've got to credit that and I think uh, I, it's harsh for Stevie G but you know when you when you look at he had a little bit of success with Rangers coming to Premier League is a completely different concept Unai Emery had a taste with Arsenal I think he I think he did a a good job in all all respects and. Uh, when he went to Sevilla, he's gone and done wonderful things. So that shows the pedigree of manager, um, and this has just emulated him to a new, a whole new level because of what he's achieved this season. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and, and it's it's been minor changes. You know, you you look at the tactics. You know, he's he's tweaked the formation. You know, he's playing with uh, Doctor Luis and Dendonka as a sort of a holding, but it's a very fluid formation with with a tight midfields, and then you have got Watkins, who's who's sort of. You know, on his own a little bit at times up front, uh, but you can see you know his improvement under him, and he's even come out Watkins and, and said that you know now he's obviously playing through the middle all the time. Um, you know he, he's a lot more efficient. Uh, he's he's more focused instead of fighting with defenders. He's more focused on running in behind, and and the team is geared around you know his movement and his his obviously his speed. And I think it's it's you know you can see in the stats you know he's he's obviously been massively improved. Um, the smart signing of Moreno, I think he's been a revelation. Twelve million from uh, Real Betis, I think you know has been an absolute star for them. So so it hasn't been a, 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 a as you said a huge holdover, but the, the, you can just see he's a quality coach and and he can get the best out of players. And you know why would you leave that you know unless Real Madrid comes in because I, I think Villa. You know, next season, you know, you, you're looking to push into that top six. Well, one club that is going to be looking for a manager in the off-season is Chelsea. At the time of recording this pod, they have just been knocked out of the Champions League. Not without their chances to get back into the tie when it was nil-nil, but more or less one-way traffic after Real Madrid took a 1-0 lead, winning 2-0 on the night and ultimately 4-0 on aggregate to knock Chelsea out. But the big story about Chelsea during the week has been uh, the story of Todd Bowley the owner, the majority owner, coming down to the rooms and giving the team talks. I mean, Roman Abramovich was famous for being rarely seen at Stamford Bridge. Todd Bowley is a lot more hands-on. Thomas, I'll lead off with you, but uh, this is for all three of you. Do any of you have stories during your careers about owners or directors or basically people who weren't the gaffer that got a little bit big for their boots and decided, if I'm paying the bills, I'm coming down to give the team talk. Uh, thankfully, most uh, chairmans have, have stayed uh, upstairs and, and you've just seen them at functions and, and stuff. Um, but no, we, uh, the, the, the clear winner in, in this contest uh, is, is Doc Ellis, deadly dog at uh, Aston Villa when I was there. He used to come down four, five, six times uh, during the season and it tended to be always after we had lost the game. And he would sort of gently just walk around the dressing room and, and stop at players and, you know, just explain to them, uh, you, know, you know, what they should have done uh, <laughs> instead, really. Uh, I remember we played Arsenal and, and I sort of got caught just outside the box, a ball over the top and Terry and rounded me and, uh, you know, scored uh, and obviously disappointed. We lost, I think, 2-0. Uh, and he was doing his rounds. He stopped at me and he sort of looked at me and he was... Um, I think, uh, sh- should you have stayed on the line? What do you think? 
And I was like, I tried to be polite, but inside I just wanted to hit him. Uh, so so he, 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 he used to be a sort of know-it-all man. He used to come down and just explain. He used to have that story that he invented the scissor kick and uh, back in his day when he was playing and... Ah, uh, you know, he was a handful, um, and I think that's why... Uh, I, I take from your story he wasn't <laughs> intimidating. I mean, he had the nickname Deadly Doug, as you say, which is, is pretty full-on. Uh, but- he was, you know, he, he knew his position. Like, he had his, he had his uh, big Rolls Royce parked right outside the entrance to the stadium. You couldn't miss it. It, it might as well have been blocking the entrance. Uh, so, so, you know, he loved, he loved to just show off who, who the owner was. You know, just uh, just put his foot in. You know, just making making people know their place, um, uh, and I think that's why he did it. You know, he came down also for the manager, just to show you know I own this club uh, and I can, you know, I know better. Uh, and and you know, you, you just had to suck it up. You just had to smile and and agree with him. <laughs> he paid the bail. He paid the the wages. You obviously had your manners, but did any of your teammates ever actually bite back, or were they all able to hold their tongue? Uh, I think everyone held their tongue, but as soon as he left, there was a, there was a few words said, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Gents, anyone else got something similar from their career? Um, I'm, I'm trying to rack my brains here too. I, I, was, I was very, very blessed, you know, when, when it came to chairman. But, um, I had Bob Murray at Sunderland. He never really interfered at all. Bob used to stay upstairs and, and you know, just enjoy investing in the club and seeing Sunderland get the, the Premier League. Um, Peter Ridsdale, for all the money that he spent at Leeds United and give us the opportunity there. Again, he was he was always he, he used to travel with the team every now and again, but he never ever came into that dressing room and give us any any grief or any hardship. He he was still really behind the scenes. And Carlisle United, Fred Story, the, um, was a great man as well. I, I was really blessed. The only the only flip side I can give you from this was having an owner in Nathan Tinkler at the Newcastle Jets that was was there and we never saw him so he didn't interfere at all and he never came into the dressing room let alone even came into the training ground or the football club he was just not bothered by the by the Jets football and I think that's what annoyed annoyed us as footballers at that club he was you know investing here there and everywhere and, and save save the club but we we never got to see him or have any relationships with him really um at all so um no I never really had any interference chairman's coming to think of it I only had um I, I think at, at Fulham uh, Muhammad Al Fayed would come into the change rooms, um, not give a talking to, or um, the only times actually he came in and said anything. In the he would give room. you gifts, wouldn't he? Yeah, he'd give us little 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 sweets and all this sort of stuff. And, give cars to yeah, Harrods. Well, maybe he got a few of those as well. Now European <laughs> runs, maybe. Ooh. Be careful, the tax man will be after you. What tax man? What what, what gifts? Um, there may have been, from what I've heard, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but he would he would come in after European games and. And uh, and actually throughout the season he'd come in and and, and and like congratulate us and was really proud and that. The only time he, he wouldn't come in after games, he'd come to the training ground. And it was one time when Mark Hughes was the manager and we went through a really rough tra- uh, patch of time when Mark Hughes was the manager and uh, he pulls he, he calls in a meeting, we go up in the room, we're, we're all there, and the manager's there and he's out the front of the in front of the whole group. Um, Fayed and he starts talking and he tells Mark Hughes come over come and stand next to me and Mark Hughes stands about two metres away from him and he goes over to him and drags him over and pulls him right next to him no I want you to stand here then he turns to us and says you know alright what's the problem is this man the problem if he's the problem tell me right now and I'll sack him <laughs> 
Cold <laughs> so everyone, everyone who was on the bench just put yeah. their finger out. No one knew where to look. Honestly, no one knew where to look. Yeah, he is. Yeah, <laughs> nobody knew what to say. And it was like Danny Murphy was the captain and goes, "Well, no, um, you know, Mr. Chairman, no, 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 that's not the problem. You know, you know, we all have to take responsibility. You know, it's not just on the manager; it's everyone has to take responsibility." And well, you tell How me, how could you carry on oh, after man. getting undermined like yeah, he that? Said, like, he said to us, though, well. Yeah, if it's him, tell me, and I'll sack him. And he's like there, and I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Uh, on that note, let's take a break here on the Gig and Pod. When we come back, we've got so much more to talk about with our three experts. It's a fight to the finish in the Premier League. April 27th, the defending champions take on the league leaders, Manchester City and Arsenal, in an epic showdown. Plus, there's a battle for a coveted top four spot when Tottenham host Manchester United. Don't miss the fight to the finish. Live Premier League, April 27, only on Optus Sport. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. We've got Mark Schwartzer, Michael Bridges, and Thomas Sorensen with us today. Let's put a pin in the Premier League for now and go to a different Premiership, the Scottish Premiership, because Ange Postacoglu's Celtic are getting closer and closer to sealing back-to-back titles. But this weekend, they've got the Scottish FA Cup semi-final against Rangers. And you'd think with the gap at 12 points with six to play at the top of the Premiership that this is the last hurrah for Rangers to really put one over Celtic this season. Mark, what have you made of Celtic's trajectory? It looks like the league is within their grasp, but they don't want to have the sour taste in their mouth of dropping a FA Cup semi-final to their arch rivals this weekend. Absolutely not. No, they'll be going all out to try and beat Rangers and rub their rub their faces in it. Absolutely. I mean, that's what it's about, right? Celtic Rangers, they're at each other all the time. Um, it's about superiority. It's about winning every single trophy there's a uh, there's available, and Ange will want to go down as a great, right? And it's only normal. He'll want to win every single trophy, and they'll go full steam ahead to try and knock Rangers out out of of the cup semi final. Um, Barring a catastrophe, they've got the league. They've pretty much got the league sewn up. Um, but again, the bar is so high um, in Scotland and certainly with Celtic and Rangers that Ange being the position they are, Celtic, they're expected to go on and, and win the remaining fixtures and, and win the league comfortably. Bridgie, this has to be vindication for Ange holding his nerve. I mean, you think back to Brighton, they'd be thrilled with Roberto De Zerbi, but that was probably the strongest push for Ange and then we've had him linked uh, in various degrees of seriousness to all the Premier League vacancies since but this must be uh, really the right call from him ultimately to hold and stay at Celtic. Yeah and that's what he's about he's a man of his word I'll, I'll, you know he, lo- he loves new projects he doesn't mind making big decisions and he, li- he likes seeing the projects through 
Um, and I, th- I think that's you know that's that's credit to him. It's it's that's what his values are. That's what his beliefs are. And there's no doubt about it. Obviously, the Celtic fans absolutely adore him for what he has done in the previous seasons. And Rangers fans absolutely hate him because I think the last what four matches they've had Celtic had three wins and and there's been a draw for Rangers. So going into this cup final, Rangers need no more incentive than to try and get one back over Ange and Celtic. And the new manager there, Beale, he's the one that has been given the, the you know the the opportunity to do so. Another man that's a very methodical manager, uh, a man that we thought would stick by his values when he said he wouldn't leave QPR. But when Rangers came calling, he has jumped ship, and it's incredible to see the fall from grace that QPR have had in the championship since he has left. And I think he was such a talisman also under Gerard when he worked there previously with Aston Villa and at Rangers. So this guy's a he's got great great. Um, background and pedigree and he will be desperate to try and find a formula to beat Ange Postacoglu but I I watch Ange's team at the weekend against Kilmarnock and I've got to say the the the, the tactics and the style of play the way Ange was overloading the midfield with both fullbacks it was very similar to how Klopp had Trent, Trent Alexander playing in the midfield but he was doing it with both fullbacks um, and they just had wave after wave attack it was almost like he played a front five if not six at, the, at one moment in time he won't have that luxury against Rangers but I can't see Rangers stopping them. This um, Celtic are in top, top form at the moment, and I think they'll do the do the double. Yeah, and Ange knows that every trophy he puts in the cabinet, it's just got to make his stock rise. So I, I don't think there's any panic there. You know, I think he knows the interest will will be there. You know, if he continues on this uh, trajectory, so you know, I think he's doing the right thing. And you know, by two two trophies, uh, you know, then uh, you know. <laughs> Puts himself in an even greater position going forward. Well, one Australian manager that is not enjoying his spell quite to the same way Ange Postacoglu is, is Patrick Kisnorbo. A 3-1 loss for Troyes against Marseille means that Kisnorbo now has one win in 17 and the gap to safety from relegation is now 10 points. It's looking increasingly likely that he's going to be taking Troyes down. But Mark, does that make Kisnorbo one of the luckiest managers in Europe if indeed the club backs him to take the side into League 2? Uh, yeah, yeah, makes him very fortunate. Very fortunate to be at a club. Um, if if that were to happen, where which very rarely happens, that they stick with someone. Um, we we there there are occasions where it's happened, but you know we saw it with Burnley. Um, they they did it a few times, um, but I don't think. I think for Paddy, the, the the thing is part of the city group, so therefore they know him. They know he's part of that that institution. He's part of that whole setup. They know what he he knows the group and he knows what they want, and maybe they see him as an ideal person to build for to coming up back in. You know, I, I I agree. I think uh, you know his sort of strength is is he's part of the city group. Um, I know they rate him highly. I know they they truly respect what he's he's what he's done at at Melbourne City. The person, the person he is, uh, and I think you've got to realize that you know he came, you know, uh, at a difficult time, uh, uh, you know, not knowing the language. He, he brought a, a couple of people from Melbourne City, and uh, it takes time to to build this. And and it, there, there's a, I know there's a constant evaluation of 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 everything, and you know that's the meticulous. Uh, way that the city group goes about their their stuff, and uh, if they start to see things that they don't like, um, you know, he he will be gone. He will be moved on to another role. So, you know, they they see a, a lot of positives as long as he's he's there. It could be the playing group. Um, you know, it, it does take time. I've I've seen them a couple of times, and defensively they've been shocking. 
Uh, and I don't think the quality is there for him to, you know, to, to really, you know, push maybe this season. So I, 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 I tend to hope that they see it as a project, a long, longer term project. And, and that's, you know, should be hopefully his, his saving grace. And fair play to Patty, you know, he took the opportunity um, when he knew it was going to be a challenge. He could have sat there at Melbourne City and had a nice, you know, easy ride in the A-League and, and not challenged himself. To go to go overseas and challenge himself, even though it has been a failure so far, and like you say, he's, he's, he is a lucky man to be in his job. The coaching experience and knowledge that he will have gained from everything he's had to deal with um, will stand him in great stead going forward. So I, I, I credit... Patty for taking the opportunity, um, and it's it, it's been a learning curve. He, obviously, it hasn't been a success, but what he will have learned will absolutely stand him in good stead for the next opportunity or the project that the boys have just talked about. We say that he will stay there and have that opportunity to give them a chance to bounce back next season. So um, he's taken himself out of the comfort zone. I respect that, and I, I wish him all the best for the future, man. Let's flip over to La Liga, where this weekend the marquee matchup is Barcelona against Atletico Madrid. Barcelona have drawn their last two, but they're still well clear at the top of La Liga. And, of course, with Real Madrid progressing in the Champions League. Real Madrid's uh, distraction from La Liga means that Atletico are now only two points behind Real. Not that there's a huge difference between second and third, and it will be uh, completely irrelevant if Real does indeed defend the Champions League and uh, win that crown. But it's a pretty good run from Diego Simeone, especially given that he really was on the nose in the first half of the season. There was a lot of speculation that after 11 years, he might have reached an organic end to his time at Atletico Madrid. But this has been one really impressive turnaround, Thomas, from a team that now could end up finishing second in the table, albeit with Barcelona running away at the top. Yeah, I think they got six wins in a row now. And, um, you know, the whole, the, the whole debacle with uh, Griezmann, uh, you know, to start the season and everything else, uh, you know, how they've integrated him and got over that hurdle. And, and he's their main man now. And, uh, yes, uh, all the question marks around Simeone. But it, I think it just shows that, you know, um, you know he's, a, he's a top manager. You know, he, he's been able to you know, to, to, to keep the fire going. Uh, when you think that he was starting to get extinguished, he's revitalized players, he, he's changed his, tweaked his tactics, uh, and look where they are now. So, um, you know, you've got, you got to give him uh, a, a huge amount of credit. And it's better a little bit of interest in because obviously Barcelona was running away with it, Real Madrid sitting comfortably. Now there's, you know, there's, there's a little bit of spice in, in, in the league and Barcelona not quite firing. Uh, I think they seem more worried about clean sheets and, and getting to stake in some records than, than actually scoring goals. So, you know, who knows? Um, it's just great to see a third team mixing with the two big boys. Barcelona haven't won in three. I mean, it's including, including a Copa del Rey match where they got absolutely pumped by Real Madrid, 4-0 at home. Um, yeah, so look, they, they are comfortable where they are. However, I think there's got to be, if they don't win this against Atletico Madrid, there'll be a little bit of twitches, let's say to speak. Um, because, you know, sometimes you can go on such a bad run and, and uh, you never know. I think Real Madrid's um, distraction in the Champions League is certainly something to uh, be part of it. But I think if Barcelona were to, to lose against Atletico Madrid, there'll definitely be some, some eye uh, head turning being done and some teams below them, certainly Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, thinking, you know what, just maybe. Well, all those games in La Liga are live and exclusive on Optus Sport, but in particular, do not miss that one between Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. Quarter past midnight 
on Monday. So that's one uh, if you stay up late on Sunday night. At the other end of the table, and Bridgie, I know you love to keep an eye on Valencia from uh, back to your playing days, but it's looking increasingly likely that they are going to get relegated at this point. They lost to Sevilla at the weekend. Sevilla now eight points clear of the drop zone. But Valencia, they sit in the relegation zone now, three points adrift. And they've only won 7 out of 29 for the campaign. They are starting to lose touch, Bridgie. And it looks like one of these institutions of Spanish football might be running out of time. I've talked about the Premier League relegation battle and I said Leeds' next three matches is the deciding factor in their season. It's the same with um, Valencia. They're playing teams in and around the bottom. I think it's uh, Elche this weekend and then... They're two massive, massive relegation battles after that. So they've got three weeks, they've got three matches to save their season. There's nine points up for grabs. And to be honest with you, I tell you, I think they're going to get it. I think they can do something here in the teams around them because they just, I think two wins will see them up to, what, on 30, 27 at the moment. I think they'll get to 33 points in the next three weeks. Um, it's in their hands. If they were playing the any teams in the top eight, I would say that Valencia are gone. Not, not at the moment. Uh, it's, it's the next three games, so I, I don't want to write them off. I'm still hoping that we see them in La Liga. Um, you know, I, I remember that. I remember when Matty Ryan went there, and it was just I was so hoping he would do so well there, and he just went at a really bad time. And ever since that ownership, it's just deteriorated year on year. And I, I, but I still think they've got enough this season. Ilcha and then uh, Valladolid and Cadiz. So as you say, Bridgie, they've got the teams in last 16th and 14th. So if they were to get on a little run, that might be enough to at least get them out of the relegation zone. But if they can't, then you'd think they're going to go down. You need no more incentive as a player when you see that. You need no more incentive when you see them fixtures. Yeah, and, and you could just hope they could buy a bit of luck. I thought they were deeply unlucky against Seville. I think, I think the referees didn't uh, really help them. Uh, in that game and, and that's sometimes the, the margins you, you need um, so, so I agree with Bridgie I don't think they're far away I think they they, they showed um, you know they, they showed enough for me to, to be encouraged uh, against Seville and, and you know th- this is the business end of the season you need to dig something out and you need to find something from somewhere and I think Valencia can do it Alright uh, women's football returns in studio for Optus Sport. We'll have the full panel back, hosted by Amy Duggan for the WSL on Thursday morning, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, for Manchester United against Arsenal. Set your clocks because it's a 4.15 a.m. kickoff, but it is a vital game in terms of the title race. It's been a four-team title race in the WSL so far this season, but it's fantastic to see Optus Sport getting behind this run home and uh, having the full studio hosting halftime and full-time show for all the biggest matches. As things stand, Manchester United 41 points, Chelsea game in hand 40 points, Arsenal game in hand 38 points, Manchester City 38 points, but they've played 17 compared to Chelsea and Arsenal. So if Arsenal were to win, uh, they'd have to win by three to go top on goal difference. Uh, but, in fact, they'd have to win by four to go top on goal difference, but they can draw level with Manchester United on points. So, gentlemen... Uh, Amy and the panel will have uh, all the analysis tomorrow morning, but I want you to get in first. Tell me what's going to be the result in the WSL, the feature game on Optus Sport, when Manchester United host Arsenal, Australian time, tomorrow morning. Russell to score for Manchester United and open the scoring and make it 1-0 to Manchester United and then the tables are going to turn and I'm taking Arsenal to win this one three goals to one and the reason I'm saying that is because I still want the title race 
to be on because at the start of the season, I went for Chelsea and Sam Kerr and that's why I don't want Manchester United to win this one because that will give them a, a little bit of a leapfrog and a good little gap of four points on them. So I'm, I'm going to be um, cheering on the Arsenal. There you go. Yeah, I agree. I think Manchester United have, have been uh, a revelation this season. Obviously, they got Russo, Toon. I think uh, Maya Letitia at the back, the young player they signed uh, at the beginning of the season, I think has, has again been a, a fantastic addition. Uh, so I think they have just stepped it up. And, you know, you look at the injuries, obviously, Arsenal have had. It's great to see that Steph Cadley is back. I don't know if she'll feature in this one, but she's at least back on the training pitch, which is great for Matilda's fans. Uh, but, well, you know, it's just so exciting, the, the WSL. You know, it could go any way. Obviously, Chelsea just got that s splendor lead in, in points but and a game in hand. But, you know, if they win that one. So, you know, who, who knows? But I, I think United just have enough uh, in this one, playing at home as well. Yeah, I, I, think, I think Arsenal will do the business. I think um, the good news is I've seen, according... You think Arsenal will do I, I the business? I think Arsenal will do the business. I, I, the good news is, from according okay. to Arsenal's Twitter account, that Caitlin Ford, unfortunately, <laughs> hasn't made it. Um, she's not fit and she's not travelling. Whereas, like you said, um, uh, Steph Catley is part of the squad. I don't know whether or not she'll play. I, I would think it's unlikely she'd start because she's just obviously come back from an injury. Um, so yeah, look, I, I think Rosso is one of the one of the danger players. Ella Toon as well has, has been uh, huge for Manchester United this season. They've obviously got England goalkeeper um, as as well in Mary Earps, who, who's been been fantastic uh, for club and country. I just think Arsenal though have too much, um, and I think uh, I think they'll go there with the know how, with the experience, and I think they'll win the game and make it a real go to the end of the season with. Um, with the, the WSL title. Obviously, they've also got the Champions League uh, semi-final was... against Wolfsburg next weekend. Perfect timing there, Swartz, because we all went for Chelsea and somebody said that they would get beat. Didn't they, Theo, in the, in the Champions that? League? Who said that? I can't remember who said that. Well, just on that on the Champions League, <laughs> it's not often you see Champions League ties on weekends, but in the women's, we will. Chelsea playing Barcelona this weekend. Now, when they met in the final a couple of seasons ago, it was emphatic. It was 4-0 to Barcelona. Emma Hayes, her reputation has only gone up since then. And it's probably just as important for her as it is for Sam Kerr for Chelsea to try and prove a point. I think they got a little bit lucky against Lyon to even get to a penalty shootout and get this far. So does the bubble burst, Schwartzy, or do Chelsea finally get their revenge on Barcelona for that hammering they took in the 2021 final? It's only the first leg too, so I guess it's two-legged tie. And it's the home leg coming up this Saturday and then the following Friday, Barcelona get the second leg. Yeah, that's right. Um... Look, they need to play a lot better. I agree with you. I think they were very fortunate to, to knock Leon out. I thought they were way below par at home, hence why Leon went 2-0 up. I think the penalty decision was never going to be overturned because I think it's one of those ones. The referee gives it. It's not a clear and obvious mistake, so they won't go to the monitor to say, no, it's not. And if she doesn't give it, the same thing. I don't think they'll then give it. So I think they got very, very fortunate. But of course, then they, then they do the business right and, and, and they win the game. With Barcelona, though, I, I, yeah, I think it is still... I don't think they're at that level still. I don't think for, for Chelsea, I think it's going to be a game too, too much for them. Barcelona over two legs, I think, will be too, be too strong for, for Chelsea. I agree with you, Swartie. I think Barcelona, what, 20, 25 matches this season, 25 wins, no draws, no losses, 105 goals for 
plus 100 goal difference. It's just absolutely incredible stats. I think they've, yeah, they're, they're the real deal. And I think it's going to be one step too far for Chelsea. Yeah, I, I totally agree as well. You know, they've, they've got so much firepower. They've, you know, Carolyn Hansen is back now as well. You know, so I think overall, um, they got the experience. Uh, and, and when it comes to the big stage, uh, yeah, I agree. It's just slightly in favor of Barcelona in, in this one. But let's, let's hope for an upset. I think it would be great for Sami Kerr uh, and Chelsea if they can, uh, you know, if they can finally get that hurdle uh, or get over that hurdle. Um, but yeah, it, it'll take a momentum, uh, you know, performance from them to, to, to do it. Well, depending on when you're listening to the pod, don't forget to set your alarms for the WSL on Thursday morning. All right, gents, we've had uh, a lot to talk about. Loved the little revelations about owners and directors coming down to the rooms in this week's pod. So hopefully you have no undue influence from above between when we now and uh, next talk. Michael Bridges, good luck to Leeds. I know the other two haven't uh, wished you all the best, but uh, good luck from me to you. No, thank you very much, Teo, and um, <laughs> appreciate that, mate, because I know these two. It's the Keepers' Union. Stick together. No satisfaction. Thomas, thank you. <laughs> oh, it's been a pleasure, Teo, and uh, yeah, no, I, I hope the best for Bridgie, but uh, I, I sadly <laughs> don't think it will, it will end up pretty. And Mark Schwartz, are the last words yours? Yeah, thank you very much for that, Teo, and uh, look, Bridgie will have success this season. One of his teams will do all right. Yes, a big thanks to Mark Schwartzer, Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen. The Premier League continues on Saturday morning when Arsenal hosts Southampton at 5am. Then from 9.30pm, Fulham and Leeds kick off the overnight action. There's a four-game goal rush from midnight, including Liverpool's game against Nottingham Forest. Sunday night action starts with Newcastle United against Tottenham, kicking off at 11pm, all times Australian Eastern Standard Time. La Liga action includes Real Madrid against Celta Vigo from 5am on Sunday, and don't miss Barcelona against Atletico Madrid from 12.15am on Monday, all times Australian Eastern Standard Time. The WSL is back with two games on Thursday morning. See the full Optus Sports Studio show for Manchester United versus Arsenal, which kicks off at 4.15 Australian Eastern Standard Time. And the J-League and K-League continue on Optus Sport. Make sure to jump on the Optus Sport website or app for broadcast details. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us five stars while you're there. I've been your host, Teo Pelizzeri. Thanks for listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was The Gegenpot. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.